only ambition in life was to be a big water polo player at a big school. Not much of an ambition, but that was it. And then my senior year came. Scholarships and scouts. And I broke my hand and I broke my knee in a month. And my whole senior year or my senior season of water polo was gone. I didn't get to, you know, show myself off to any scouts and that didn't make me stronger. It didn't kill me, but it didn't make me stronger. I sunk into a depression. I isolated myself. I just kind of gave myself over to my passions and got into substance abuse. And my hand healed and my knee healed, and maybe they were even stronger, but I wasn't stronger because I left that ordeal um, struggling with some things that I didn't have when I went into it. You see, we have to figure out how to deal with trouble. Why didn't it make me stronger? I mean... The saying says, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you stronger. Why did it make me stronger? The answer is, it's because I misinterpreted and I poorly responded to the trouble I went through. I've got to learn how to interpret, understand, explain, and respond to the hard things that I'm going to face, that we're all going to face. And we're supposed to learn that in our families. This whole series is about looking at family life and, and trying to move it towards the ideal that God intends for it. And one of the things that families do, one of the most important things that parents do for their kids is teach them how to accurately describe, explain, and respond to trouble. Because trouble's coming. Trouble's just part of life. Some of you are young. You're sixth graders. And your life's in front of you. And there's a lot of good in store. But there's also your share of pain and trouble, as anybody who's older will tell you. And if you don't learn how to adequately describe and explain it and deal with it and respond to it, it can cripple you. It can really hurt you. You you as parents, you have a responsibility to teach your children how to read the pitches that life is throwing at at you. The baseball is going on right now. It's kind of a, a big deal. And a great batter can read the pitch that's coming at him so that he can he can hit it. And life throws pitches and some of them are are trouble. And we have to teach our children how to read it and respond to it so that we do well. That's what God intends for our families. Because trouble is a part of life. A guy who knew a lot about trouble was Job. If you know anything about the story of Job, his life was very, very difficult. And in the book about his life, there's this verse. It says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. If you've ever had a fire and you watch the wood pop, sparks fly up. And if you look at human life, there's trouble just part of life. There's all kinds of trouble, right? There's man-made disasters like disease and there's cancer, or that's not a man-made disaster, but I guess it could be, you know, depending on what you do, but there's war, there's economic depression, and then there are physical problems like cancer and flu and broken bones and death. There's relational trouble. You know, we get in fights, we divorce, there's lawsuits and bands break up and teams break up and business partners break up. And then there's just good old fashioned natural disasters, That's the kind of trouble that we all deal with, like Hurricane Michael that just hit Florida and some other states this week. Look at the devastation. Billions of dollars of property damage, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives negatively affected. Can you imagine being this woman in the wreckage, talking to her children as she puts them to bed tonight? Why did this happen, Mom? Why? Why? If we don't have an explanation for trouble and pain and suffering, we can't endure life. So many people get to end their lives and they're just, they're spent, they're depressed. And that's because 
trouble, it wears on us. And if we don't understand what it is and why it's happening, and if there's nothing redemptive about it, there's no hope. Why do things like this happen? God explains it to us in the Bible. It's not what God intended. It's not how God created the world. When God created the world, he created it good. No pain, no death, no tears. The world was good. He made man to rule over the world the way that he rules over the universe, with him and for him. It's going to be great. He told the first family, you have a choice. You can trust me and love me back. If you do, you'll live. Or you can rebel. You can be autonomous from me and you'll die. And all that you possess and all that you control and all that you govern, like this earth, it will die with you. There was another voice in the garden, a snake, Satan, and he had a different read on the situation. He said that if you obey God, you'll die. That's death. That's slavery. But if you rebel against God, whoa, that's life. Then you'll truly live like me. And so the first family had a choice. They could trust and believe God or they could trust and believe the snake. And they believed the snake. And as a result, sin and death and suffering and pain and tears, it came into all that the human race has authority over. And that is this world. And now we live in the suffering and the sickness of this world. Hurricanes like the one we saw, that's a part of the curse. Here we stand. A world of trouble as sparks fly upward. But God, he doesn't just leave us here. He's not a, you broke it, you fix it kind of guy. God loves us. He's our father. And so he has decided that he's going to give us the, the solution for our suffering. And that solution is his son, Jesus. That God would actually condescend and become one of us and join us here as a man to experience all the suffering that we experience. And that he would take on himself the suffering and the grief and the pain that we deserve for our sin. So that we could take on the joy and the peace and the hope and the glory that he deserves. He did this on the cross. His death is a giant vacuum cleaner sucking the suffering and the curse out of this world for all those who put their faith in him. Listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah was a prophet who lived 700 years before Jesus. And he prophesied what would happen when Jesus came and and what it all meant. And here's what he said. But oh, how few believed it. Who will listen? To whom will God reveal his saving power? In God's eyes, he, Jesus, was like a tender green shoot sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. But in our eyes, there was no attractiveness at all. Nothing to make us want him. We despised him and rejected him. A man of sorrows, acquainted with bitter grief. This is God who's experiencing the same suffering and trouble that we experience. He voluntarily condescends, becomes one of us, and allows himself to experience what we experience. He knows our pain. He knows our problems. He goes on to say, And we despised him and rejected him, a man of sorrows acquainted with bitter grief. We turned our back on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our grief he bore, our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed and we were healed. At the end, he says, however, when his soul had been made an offering for sin, then he shall have a multitude of children. 
many heirs. He shall live again, and God's program shall prosper in his hands. We are the heirs, the children of God, who have put our faith in this one person, Jesus Christ, the one who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away the curse of the world, who takes away the death in the world. We're the children that Isaiah is talking about. And as God's children, he has now taken personal responsibility for our lives and our moral development and training. He is our father, and he, no matter what age you are, whether you're 11 or 80, if you have put your faith and your life into the hands of Christ, you are born again into God's family, and God the Father is now taking responsibility for developing and training you and transforming you into the person that he created you to be. That's a beautiful thought. And so now we all have a choice. The cross poses a fork in the road for the human race. We can choose to continue to live as orphans, separated from God, alone in this world, to suffer the pain of the curse and sin and all the trouble that comes. The fire just gets turned up more and more and more until it burns us up. Or we can accept the life and the sonship and the daughtership that God offers us in Christ. And we can live our lives with God in his family, in his kingdom. And he begins to transform us. He helps us. And our days get brighter and brighter until the final day when Christ returns and he makes all things new. That's the choice that we all have to make. That's what the cross means. And if you have never decided to follow Christ or to give your life to him, I hope today is the day that you will do that. That you'll tell God, I agree. I need your help. I am a sinner. I know that I'm not living my life the way you want me to. I want Jesus to be my sacrifice, my substitute. And I want you to come into my life to be my king, my savior, and help me. If you'd like to do that, you can let us know on the connection card. We would love to help you. So this is the choice. And if you choose to walk and become a part of God's family, then there's good news about trouble. Trouble is now going to be a tool. It's going to be a tool that God uses to train us. And so as, as the writer of Hebrews is looking back over the history of the, the people of God, and he's writing a letter to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. They're being arrested. Their property is being stolen. Some of them are being killed because they follow Jesus. As he writes to these people going through such suffering, here's what he tells them. He doesn't say run from it. He doesn't say react to it. He doesn't say hide from it. Endure hardship. Endure it as discipline. God is treating you as a son. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're an illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who despised, uh, disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. This is what God is doing through trouble now. Trouble is a tool that God will use to transform us and make us holy, morally pure like him. We don't have all the power God has. We're not everywhere at all times like God is. We don't know everything that God knows. But we can be pure and morally right like God is. That was what we were. That is what we will be, and God is using trouble to transform us. The Bible says from glory to glory, more and more like his son Jesus. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Peace in the middle of trouble, knowing which way is right, 
in the middle of trouble for those who have been trained by it, trained by it. There's a sense in that verse that you can choose to not be trained by, that you can pull out. Trouble's like a fire. Fire can burn and wound you. It can destroy the things that you love. Before, when we were orphans, separated from God, the fire was just destructive. Temperature just goes up and up and up. There's nothing redemptive about it. But fire can also be transformative. Fire can be a tool that is used to refine us like gold. It can purify us if the temperature is just right. When we become children of God, God takes responsibility for turning up and down the temperature. He's the one who then uses the trouble to help us become what he wants us to become. And this is what the, the prophets and the apostles and the writers in the Bible all knew and taught to the people of God, including Peter. Peter was um, one of Jesus' closest disciples and uh, in the first century, he was the leader of, of the church, and he wrote a letter to some people who lived in um, Turkey, what we would call Turkey, and they were going through suffering and persecution, just like the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. And here's what he said. He said, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. There's the word again, trial. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. It's refining you. What's the gold in this metaphor? Through your faith, uh, sorry, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through the many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor. On the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, hope in that day. Children of God, you're going through hard things. Hope in the day when Christ returns and makes that which is wrong right, when he mends that which is broken, when he makes things new. And recognize that the trial is a fire. Whatever you're facing, whether it's physical sickness or mental sickness or relational problems or whatever, hurricanes, God will use these bad and hard things for good. He will refine your faith, your trust, your obedience to him, like a little child trusts and obeys their parents. See, that was what we were when we were created. That was what God originally intended. That's what we lost, faith in God. We don't trust him. We don't think he's good. We don't think we can count on him. He's not strong enough to save us. We've got to go it alone. He doesn't care enough about us to actually help us in the little bitty details of our lives. That's the truth about the human heart. That's the faith we don't have. That's what's missing. That's what's broken. And that's what's lost. And that's what God is restoring He gives us faith, he grows the faith, he strengthens the faith, he purifies the faith, and he has chosen to use the trouble. And so in our families, we have to teach this. Our homes are to be places where this is known, this is explained, this is taught and modeled, so that our children can learn to face the frustrations and the struggles of life with endurance and courage and faith and hope. God wants our families to be He wants parents to be a shelter in the storm. Proverbs 14 says, he who fears the Lord, he who takes his word seriously, he who reveres the Bible, who uses the biblical language and the biblical categories to explain every area of life. He who hears what God says and struggles to put it into practice. When God speaks, the one who looks and listens. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. That secure fortress is the Lord. He has a secure fortress because he fears the Lord. And for his children, it will be a refuge. His kids come along. This is what God wants for our families. He wants us to respect him enough to believe what he says 
and to teach our kids the language of heaven, the language of God. And you find that in the Bible. And when our kids learn how to face trouble from God's point of view, they can respond in a way that is successful. One of the most important things you can do in your family is help people accurately label the things that they're going through and facing. Because if you misdiagnose something, that can cause more destruction, more problems. Right? If you're a doctor and you misdiagnose a sickness, that person can die. So having the appropriate labels, knowing the right categories for the things that you're going through, that's critical for you to both read the pitch and hit it out of the park. And so God gives us the truth. You find it in the Bible. He explains to us what trouble is and where it comes from. And I'd like to take a second just to look at a summary of where suffering comes from, the sources of suffering. God explains to us in the Bible where suffering comes from. And it's very helpful to know. It's something that we need to be teaching uh, to ourselves and applying and then teaching to our families. There are five sources of suffering. This, this comes from Pastor Harold Bullock, who is the senior pastor from Hope Church, which is a church that our church is planted out of. And uh, this is a summary of the sources of suffering in the Bible. The first is stupidity. Like when I broke my knee, I was swing dancing. Yeah, I was swing dancing. That's how I broke my knee. That was stupid. I stepped the wrong way. The girl, I I was flipping this girl in swing dancing mode, and she moved funny, and she hit my knee, and that was it. Feels stupid to say it, but it's what happened. And that was just stupidity. You know, you make mistakes. You smash your finger with a hammer. You touch a hot stove. And you have to learn wisdom to not do that. It's not right to yell at God for consequences that come on us because of stupidity. The second thing is sin. When you violate your conscience, when you break your moral code, when you don't do what God says and you choose to go the wrong way, that brings trouble on us. And there's all sorts of sin in our lives. It's just pockmarks of sin in our souls. And as we read the Bible, we get a mirror. And we're like, whoa, that's sin. That's bad. And as we begin to understand things from God's point of view, he really helps us begin to deal with the sin in our lives so that it can mitigate the trouble that's coming on us because of sin. It's one of the reasons why, as Christians, we read the Bible every day for the rest of our lives, over and over and over again. Start at the beginning, read it all the way through. Little bites, chew on it, meditate on it, think about what it means, try to apply it. We get up the next day, we do it again. We never stop doing that. Every day, as best we can. For the rest of our lives, because we want to learn what is sin and God will teach us. But that's a source of suffering. Then there's the curse. The curse is the consequence for our, the human race's rebellion against God. Everything that we rule, which is this earth, is now under a curse. It's the righteous judgment of God on our sin. And that includes everything from disease and death to natural disasters. We deal with a world that is cursed. Death itself is abnormal. We're not supposed to die. That's why we cry at funerals. So we want to live longer because in our soul, God is, he has poured eternity, this desire to live forever, good, healthy. And it, it just, our lives end. That's the curse. And that's why Jesus conquered death so that we can live again and live forever. And then there's Satan, our enemy. Angels and demons are real. If you said that 10 years ago, you get funny looks. Nowadays, people are starting to have more of a sense that this spiritual stuff may be real. Angels and demons are real, but the only way you're going to learn the truth about them is from the Lord Jesus and from the Bible. And you have to learn how to recognize your enemy's schemes because he deceived the first family. And he's trying to deceive your family, especially when things get hard, especially when the chips are down, especially when you're going through trouble. That's when he wants to take you out. 
Because he's against all that is good. He wants to tear apart, rip apart, tear down everything that's good. Christian or not, all of it. And so we learn from the Bible and we teach in our families how to recognize our spiritual enemy and his attacks and to fight back. To fight back and to win with the power that God gives us. And then there's God. God himself brings trouble as a form of judgment and discipline for rebellion. He does it to test our hearts and purify them. Sometimes there's blessing. And the only way you can get to it is through the door of trouble. These are sources of suffering. And knowing this and being able to recognize the interplay between them, um, it's hard. But you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to uh, figure out which of these things, which combination of these things are causing the trouble in your life. We need people in our lives who can teach us how to do this. And so we look to our parents, we look to our brothers and sisters. If they know God's word and they know how to read a situation from God's point of view, they can really help us respond well instead of reacting and making a poor choice in the middle of trouble. And even if you're not a parent, you don't have any kids, you know, your brother or sister or roommate or teammate or classmate, coworker, you can still be a refuge for people. Because if you fear God and you know what's going on in a situation from God's point of view and people trust you, they may listen to you. You may be able to help them get a read on the situation from God's angle and respond in a way that's productive. A great example of this is David. He was the the king of Israel, and um, before he was the king, the current king, Saul, he tried to kill David because he didn't want David to replace him. And uh, he was chasing David and his soldiers around trying to murder them. And at one point, they were hiding in a cave, David and his soldiers, from Saul and his army. And it just so happened that Saul went into that cave. And he didn't know that David was in the back. And David's men saw Saul come in the cave. And they gave David their read on the situation. Here's what's going on, David. Let me explain to you what's going on, and let me explain to you what you should do. Here's what they said. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands and to deal with you as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and he just about to kill Saul and end the trouble in their lives. And he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He didn't kill Saul. And he went back to his men and he said, it said afterwards, David was conscience stricken from having cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. It sounds like they were trying to get Saul because David wasn't willing to do it. Now, see, here's what happened. David feared God. He knew God. He knew the Bible. He had been walking with God. And so when the situation came for his trouble to end, his men were like, this is it. Kill the guy and all of our suffering's over. But David actually knew what it really was. It was a test. Was he going to trust God who had raised Saul up to bring him down? Or was he going to take matters into his own hands? If David would have murdered Saul, that would have brought judgment on him and all of his men. He spared his people a lot of pain because he had an accurate read from God's point of view of what was going on. And for those who fear God and know his word and know how to apply it to their lives, and that's hard. It takes a life to do that. But you can learn more and more how to see situations from God's point of view. And as you tell other people, your family, your kids, your brothers and your sisters, and you help them see things from God's point of view, you can spare them a lot of pain. Now, on one side, God wants our families to be a shelter, but on the other side, he doesn't want us to short-circuit the process. God is the one who is controlling the temperature. It flows through his hands. 
He will use these hard things for our good. He's the one writing the story. He doesn't want us to snatch the pen out of his hand and try to finish it ourselves. When you have children especially, it's very tempted to want to jump in and save them when things are going bad. Sometimes you have to help people so that they don't do damage that's irreparable to their lives. But this takes real wisdom, especially as your kids grow older and they begin to shift into adulthood. They have to learn how to evaluate. I mean, really, their entire life they need to do this. But the more responsibility over their lives they have, the better they need to be at this. They have to learn how to read the situation from God's point of view. And you can help them with this by asking good questions. You know, what do you think is going on? Why do you think they said that? What do you think is motivating them? What are some of the other factors we might not have considered in this situation? What information do we need that we don't have to help us figure out what's going on here? How do you want to respond? I mean, what's your just gut reaction? What do you think God would want you to do? How do you think God would want you to respond? What are some things you need to respond God's way? This is a conversation we have with people as they go through trouble to try to help them see the situation from God's point of view. Not to just jump in and turn the temperature down, but try to help them respond in a read well and respond in a godly way. Our families are the place where our children can learn how to do this. And it's not easy. We're not great at it at first. But like everything else, you improve with practice. So how do we bring our family together? Right? How do we help our family face trouble together? I have four ways that I think... Um, These are not an exhaustive list, but there are four ways that you can help families face trouble together. The first way is asking God to help you. Um, We we really have to be constantly talking to our Father. He's good, He loves us, He's near, and He wants to help us through the trouble. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 17, that um, David wrote that expresses this this need for God's help and dependence on Him. And I I would encourage you to to read it and to, to gather your family around the table when you're going through something difficult and to pray it back to God. The Psalms will teach you how to pray. They'll teach you how to cry out to God. They'll teach you the language of, of hopeful, you know, sadness and really asking God to come into the troubles that you're facing and help you. And here's what, here's what David said. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayers. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye, the center of your eye. Look right at me. Give me your undivided attention. Use your strength to help me. I know you love me. Please help. This is a constant cry to God in the midst of trouble. When we go through hard things, especially as parents or older brothers and sisters, it's very tempting to want to shut the door or pull back and not include the family. That's a key time to open the door and to turn the volume up and to let people see you wrestle through the difficulty and to call out to God and for them to join you and pray because God answers. God helps. My son, when he was nine, had to have double Achilles extension surgery. He had this bone in his foot that had degenerated, and if it didn't get fixed, he would be crippled for his life. The morning that I found that out, I had been reading the Psalms. And in the, in the psalm that I had read, here's what God said. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though they stumble, he will not fall. And then I got the call that he was going to have to have this massive surgery, and it was going to be this long, difficult ordeal. And it was through the word of God that he had prepared me and promised to me that he would help my son, that he would, he would help him walk through life, regardless of what happened to his feet. And we prayed that 
over and over again, and we, we called out to God as a family, and it was hard. God got us through it, and all of us grew in our faith because of it. So we want to pray for one another and bring these things to God. The second thing we can do is stay humble. Remember that God is the writer. We're not the writer. We can't grab the pen and try to finish the, the story. We can't turn down the fire. We have to trust him and endure. Because what happens is we get autonomous, we get self-sufficient, which is what we did in the very beginning. It's the first family sin. And nothing will bring you back to your childlike devotion and trust in God and trouble. And so God uses trouble to help us stay humble and stay in the appropriate relationship with him. And he says this in Deuteronomy 8. He says, he gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. A position of humility, recognizing that God is the father and that we're the children and trusting him and to direct us and protect us and provide for us and correct us. When we have that position before our father, uh, it, it actually goes well with us. And trouble can help us reset and get back to that spot. And so we, we want to stay humble. The third thing we can do is adopt God's goal for trial. God has a plan in the midst of trial. It's not for us. Uh, in our lives to be wealthy and famous and have lives of ease and comfort. That's not the goal. God's work, his goal, his plan is to transform us, to make us mature and holy and righteous and full of joy and peace. He wants to transform us into the kinds of people who can live with him and for him and with one another and for one another forever. That's, that's the work that God is doing in us. And so when we understand that that's what God is trying to do, and we set our heart on becoming more like Jesus and pleasing Jesus, when that's something we really, really want, the suffering has meaning, it has purpose, it's redemptive. And so James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why would you consider it joy when you go through hard things? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete not lacking anything. God wants you to be mature, complete, strong, able to stand. The final thing we can do is learn and obey and then teach God's word to our family. Every word of God is flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Every word of God is flawless. And as we learn to put his word into practice, and we share that with our families at the dinner table, in the car, as we're lying in bed with our kids at night to say goodnight to them, as we talk to our spouse and our brothers and sisters, as we tell people like what we're learning about what God is saying. and The Bible has this central role of authority in our family. Uh, as we do that, people are then able to recognize trouble for what it is and to respond to it in a way that's effective. That's a real blessing. It's one of the greatest legacies that we can give to our families. We all face trouble in life. But the truth is, is that God has made a way to overcome all of it, even death. Even death is defeated by Christ. The curse brings death, but in Christ we have life. And when we know that, and we have confidence in that and hope, we're able to endure. And we can help other people endure. I'd like to finish by showing you a clip from Lord of the Rings. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's Gandalf. He's the wizard, and he's talking to this guy named Pippin. They're about to die because there's an army coming for them. And Pippin says, man, I didn't think it was going to end like this. But Gandalf knows something that Pippin doesn't know. Gandalf knows the truth, that this is not the end. And he has a picture of the future that's hopeful. And it gives him strength. And it gives Pippin strength. And that's what our families are supposed to do. 
be these places of hope where we're able to give our people, our children, our families, our brothers and sisters hope, even in the worst situations, even in the face of death. Let's go ahead and watch this clip. Men who walked with Jesus, they saw him die. And three days later, they saw him rise from the dead. They're eyewitnesses to that fact of history. And that gave them a whole new understanding of reality and hope that even in the face of death, there's life. And they passed that faith on down. And we who have been born again into God's family, we have that faith and we share that with our families. And as we do, we become stronger. We're able to endure and to push through the hard things. And that helps our families become more and not less ideal. As we finish, I'd like you to take out your connection card and as the band comes out to lead us in worship and our offering, I'd like you to look at some next steps that you can take to respond to the truth that you learned today and that you heard from God's word. The first thing is, is if you've never decided to be born again and become a child of God, to repent of your sin and put your faith and give your allegiance to Christ, I'd like to encourage you to do that. You can let us know in the connection card and we would love to meet with you and help you take that step and your first steps as a child of God. You can also get someone's help to learn God's thoughts on a trial that you're facing. What trouble are you going through right now? What's hard? Write it in the blank and write down the name of someone who can give you some thoughts. What does God say? There are people around us in our family who can help us. There are people around in our spiritual family at Church in the Valley who can help us. Don't suffer through trouble alone, but ask someone for help. And finally, you can help your family, whether you're the youngest in the family or the oldest in the family. You can help your family face the specific trouble that they're going through together by taking one of the four steps that we looked at. Just choose one of those four steps, write the number down, and decide that this week you're going to be applying that and helping your family apply that. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for today and for your word. Thank you for how you help us in trouble. God, we pray that you would... Just use the trouble to transform us and just give us the faith and the endurance we need to stay underneath it. We know that you're good and we ask that, that God, you would just help. And we thank you for Jesus who's made this way, this new life possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.